Today on the Women Mind the Water Artivist series of WomenMindTheWater.com, I'm speaking with Lisa Scully, who says she loves food and the ocean. Lisa is much more than a chef and is the first to be featured on our podcast. Lisa has lived in Paris and New York, two of the world's best-known cities for foodies. As co-owner of Ocean's Balance, Lisa is leading a culinary trend to encourage Americans to eat more seaweed. Seaweed is a plant that is farmed and harvested from the ocean. The Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast on WomenMindTheWater.com engages artists in conversation about their work and explores the connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. Today, I am speaking with Lisa Scully, a woman who is using her advanced degrees in economics and international affairs and her professional experience working with large companies to help grow a new industry, that of everyday healthy food items made from seaweed. It's a job that combines Lisa's two passions, food and the ocean. Lisa is co-owner of Ocean's Balance, a line of pantry items ranging from seaweed flakes to marinara sauces. All are made from seaweed farmed and harvested from the Gulf of Maine. Lisa believes that seaweed products are healthy for our bodies, produced in a way that is healthy for our planet and for the economies of Maine's coastal communities. Lisa, I am looking forward to our conversation. I'm interested to learn more about how one goes about developing the palates of American diners. I sense that you work as much more than modifying recipes. Let's dig in, shall we? Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? And as a child, were you an adventurous eater? So I grew up in an Italian family. Um, my mother was first generation and my father was second and I grew up in the kitchen next to my grandmother's cooking. And if I had to describe myself in one word, I would say that I'm a foodie. Um, it's really in my family, it was the glue that still binds us together. And it is the basis of so many conversations. No sooner have we put a meal on the table, we are talking about the next meal. We are a bit food obsessed, I would say. But as I was growing up, we were given, you know, delicious Italian food, and we were expected to eat it. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of, oh, I'll make you something different. We were given what was made, and we were told to eat it. And I think because of that, I developed a very multifaceted palate, where I really did enjoy eating lots of different kinds of foods. And then when I moved to France, I was lucky enough to live there for almost eight years in total. Um, my palate was introduced to a whole new range of flavors and spices and food, and it really broadened and deepened my love of food. Um, so, yes, foodie, I grew up in New York State, and uh, that's my story. For somebody who defines himself as a foodie, how is it that you went into economics? What did you imagine yourself doing with the degree? So I think we owe my economics degree, which is in, in addition to a French degree, I have a double major undergraduate in English and French, excuse me, economics and French. The economics was due to my father, the ever practical electrical engineer who did not think that studying French, which is what I really wanted to do, was going to lead to meaningful employment. So he insisted that I add something on there. So I thought about accounting and finance and they just seemed 
very dry. So I chose the very juicy topic of economics. Um, <laughs> um, but he was right. He was right. I, I needed to have, I needed to be balanced in my education. And so I continued my economic studies, uh, focusing on international economic policy when I did my graduate work at Columbia. And I was immediately hired by a bank upon graduation. And within six months, I was in Paris. And when I started college, that really was my goal, to get a job working in a French-speaking country. So my dad was right, and I, I owe him thanks for that. Well, good for both of you. And yeah. the fact that you landed in two iconic cities, New York and Paris. So it's kind of amazing to me that you ended up in Portland, Maine, which seems to be a million miles away from those places. Why did you decide to move to a city with the tradition of being more of a working waterfront than a bustling metropolis? Well, in a word, it was the ocean. Um, you know, I love living in Paris. Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful city. Um, but the Seine was just not doing it for me in terms of proximity to the water. Um, and I felt very landlocked in Paris. I really did. Um, and I spent many weekends out in Brittany and Normandy to eat the oysters, of course, but also just to be closer to the water, to be able to breathe the air and hear the ocean. It was important for me. And when I moved back to New York after my time in Paris, yes, I was in New York. And yes, I could see the Hudson River and the New York Bay from my office. But I think by then I had had enough. Like I had had enough of noise and concrete and the Hudson wasn't enough. And when I met my now husband, who was already living in Portland, it only took a couple of visits for me to realize that this is where I wanted to be. Um, and he was smart, so he took me to like the most beautiful places in Maine, you know, Reed State Park, Kettle Cove, these gorgeous, iconic places. And I realized this is, this is exactly where I needed to be, and it was an easy decision to move to Maine. And once I got there, once I got there, it was then that I truly came to understand just how vibrant the food scene is in Maine, especially in Portland, where I live. Um, so many restaurants with Jane Beers Award nominations and, and prizes each year. And it was, it was, I was attracted to it. And so when my fr family friend and the founder of Ocean Balance founded the company, the ink was still drying on the formation papers. And he called me and he said, so what do you think? Would you like to do sales and marketing for a seaweed company? I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. And I haven't looked back. So before we get into a discussion about eating seaweed, it might be helpful if you explain how seaweed is grown and harvested. Cultivating seaweed is a fascinating process. It starts in a lab, basically, or a giant fish tank. And you have pieces of PVC pipe that have string wrapped around them. And traditionally what is done is you, you release some spores of seaweed into the water and those spores attach to the string. And, and, and this seaweed or this fish tank has, you know, recirculating bubbling water through it. And for the first couple of weeks, you basically just see bubbles and it doesn't look like much is happening. But then like after two, three, maybe four weeks, you start to notice that there's like a brownish moss kind of thing appearing on the string. And a few weeks later, it's covered in what looks like moss. And at that point, it's time to plant the seaweed. So you take these pipes and you go out onto the water and you wrap the string around the line, the nautical line that is attached to buoys. And you let that line sink into the water. Six months later, 
you will pull out a line that is carrying 15 foot blades of seaweed. It's an incredible process. I think listeners who have eaten seaweed may be aware that the green wrappers used in some sushi are made from seaweed. What other ways do Americans commonly eat seaweed and maybe aren't aware about it? Uh, maybe fewer people know that the carrageenan that can be extracted from seaweed naturally is put into products like ice cream and toothpaste um, because of its thickening properties. So many people have been eating seaweed for a long time, but they just don't realize it. Um, what we're trying to do at Ocean's Balance is create products that contain seaweed, but that are kind of easy entryways into trying seaweed if it's for the first time. So, you know, we have dried organic seaweeds, but we also have value added items like pasta sauces and seasoning. And the thought process there was use a food that people are com comfortable with and already includes very frequently in their eating and add some seaweed to it so that the whole idea of eating seaweed doesn't become this big effort or this big leap. You know, they're just including it in something that they've already eaten anyway. So what does seaweed taste like? So seaweed, its calling card is umami, right? And umami is the fifth taste after salty, sweet, bitter, and sour. It's a Japanese word that has become very trendy. Um, and its translation literally means delicious, savory taste. So it's a, and it has a lot of natural glutamates, which enhance the flavor of the food that it's cooked in. But then each kind of seaweed has its own flavor. Um, some of the more popular strains that we work with, um, dulse comes to mind immediately. So dulse is this beautiful red seaweed um, that grows on rocks. And it's, uh, you know, it needs lots of air and, and light in order to grow well. And it has a very distinct, smoky, almost meaty flavor. And it's the one dried seaweed that I'll just eat out of the bag for snack. It's so good. But it's also a great choice for vegan um, diets. Because of that smoky, meaty flavor, it's also used anywhere that bacon would be used. So, for example, you could fry it up in a little bit of oil and add it to a sandwich with lettuce and tomato and just have this delicious DLT. Really good. Um, kombu is another one that's pretty popular. That's the one I mentioned earlier. It's the base for making broths, and, and, um, and it can also be used as a salt substitute. And then wakame, another popular seaweed, is um, often what's used to make seaweed salads. And that one has... A more of a, a floral flavor um, that and it mixes well with like other types of lettuces and things. Okay, so what are you working on right now? You know, I talk a lot about how seaweed is really good for you and how we should be eating it, and it's obvious to me, right? But when we think about how people are eating seaweed and and where they're getting it from. That's where there's work to be done. 95% of the seaweed that Americans consume is actually imported from Asia. And that represents a pretty big carbon footprint. So it makes sense when we're working with a food that is so sustainable. As I mentioned earlier, you know, when, when you farm seaweed, you don't use arable land. You don't use um, fresh water. You're not using fertilizer. Incredibly sustainable. But if 
you're buying it from a really far away place, you're kind of defeating the purpose of eating that sustainable food. So the education that that we try to impart and you know the knowledge that we try to share with people is a big part of what we do. And it's not just Ocean's Balance, it's, it's everyone in, in the domestic seaweed world. And in Maine, it's a very big part of, of the state's economy. Maine is actually the largest producer of seaweed in the country. Um, and it plays an important role with our, with our coastal communities. Um, everyone knows that the water is sadly warming up and fish are starting to swim north. Um, so our coastal communities who have for decades, if not centuries, lived their lives on the water fishing are now turning to seaweed farming as a means of diversifying their income away from being solely reliant on fish. And it makes perfect sense because they already have the equipment, they know the water, and it allows them to keep doing what they love. So that's important too, that we maintain that way of life that is so important to this iconic state. And then in terms of the kitchen, what are we doing in the kitchen? Um, and that's, I guess, the product development question, right? What are What kinds of products are we putting out there? It, it goes back to what I said before. We're trying to make seaweed as accessible as possible by putting it into products that people are already comfortable with and like to eat. Um, and then with the products that we're putting out, I'm working on right now um, some recipes. And recipes are good because they just help show people how to cook with seaweed. I've been working on some crudo recipes. Um, and I'm trying to use seaweed that is sustain sustainably farmed in Maine um, and, you know, nice fresh ingredients and topping them with the seasonings. And crudo is great, you know, and as we come into summer, um, they're a popular dish for summer. So that's something we'll be focusing on a lot in the next couple of months. So where do people find Ocean Balance in their supermarket? Well, thank you for asking. Um, so we're in about 1,500 stores across the country. Um, I'd say right now we're kind of coastal, but we're also starting to make headway in the middle of, this, of the country, and we're actually doing a fair amount in Texas. But some of the chains that people might know um, are Whole Foods, Hannaford, Rayleigh's out in Northern California, Erewhon and Lassen's and um, Lazy Acres in Southern California. Uh, central markets in in Texas, Mom's Organics, like I mentioned earlier. Um, we've got a whole bunch of new stores that are coming on board. And if none of those stores are in your area, we also have a website, and we also sell on Amazon. So lots of options for for buying Ocean Balance. We'll put your website on our um, our own website, and uh, maybe you'd want to provide us with a recipe for people to try as well. We'd love to do that. So I generally ask my guests at the end of a podcast to issue a call to action. So I wonder if you'd offer a challenge to listeners, how they can promote a more sustainable ocean through their own habits. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would ask people to try and include seaweed in their diet. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that you're eating seaweed straight. You know, there's lots of different ways to eat seaweed. And Ocean's Balance, along with lots of other seaweed brands out there, have 
made lots of different kinds of products that are, you know, straight organic seaweed to pasta sauce, but lots of things in between. And so see, try, find something that works for you and your family. And you'll be, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to realize that it's not that hard to include seaweed in your diet. And you'll be doing your body's a favor because as we said, it's just incredibly nutritious food. You'll be helping support, um, in many cases, the state of Maine, which is always a good thing. <laughs> and you'll be helping to contribute to the care of the ocean. You know, I don't want to, I don't want people to think that seaweed farming is the sole savior of the ocean. There's a lot of other things that need to happen. But by choosing to eat foods that are sustainable, like seaweed, you are going to do your part to help fix this food model that we do need to fix in order for our oceans to continue and for us to be able to eat. All right. So I expect listeners have gained a new appreciation for seaweed and will be inspired to get into their own kitchens and whip something up that's delicious and includes seaweed. I'd like to remind listeners that I have been speaking with Lisa Scully, a co-owner of Oceans Balance, a company dedicated to supporting sustainable oceans through eating seaweed. Lisa Scully is the latest guest on the Women Mind the Water Artivist series podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com, Museum on Main Street, and YouTube. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on womenmindthewater.com, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women the Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.